Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast brought to you by The Rollup, a media and education company that provides high quality, actionable insights and information on all things layer twos, rollups, DeFi, scaling solutions, new protocols, juicy alpha, and insightful research. We're excited to share with you the latest trends and development in the DeFi space so you can stay informed and ahead of the curve. Without further ado, we will jump right into this episode with a brief update on some of our current sponsors. Buffer Finance is a non-custodial, exotic options trading platform built to trade short-term price volatility and hedge risk of high leverage positions. They are a leader in the arbitrum charge taking over on layer twos and totally understand the potential of blockchain technology and how it's transforming the finance industry. They are proud to support DeFi by design. If you're looking for a platform to trade short-term options, look no further than Buffer Finance. With their innovative tech, easy to use platform, they're at the forefront of the options tech in Arbitrum. Visit their website, buffer.finance, and take a look at all their options. ZKX is a leader in the decentralized derivative DEX market on StarkNet. StarkNet is a cutting edge technology built to help scale Ethereum using ZK rollups. They understand the potential of scaling, blockchain tech, and how it's going to change the world of leverage trading. ZKX protocol is happy to be on testnet and will be on mainnet very shortly. Check out ZKX protocol on Twitter, as well as on Crew3 to get more information about what's going on on StarkNet. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to DeFi by Design podcast, hosted by yours truly at the roll-up episode 101 today, coming off the hangover of the GM100 space. We actually had Brian on there, which is pretty exciting. Um, Got a lot of good feedback from that space. Actually, a lot of builders were excited to just be able to jump on five, 10 minutes, chat about what they're building, give some insights, and get out of there and get back to work. Um, So really really was quite pleased with that feedback and um, yeah back again with another longer form podcast today Rob good morning how are you doing sir GM 101 I'm doing well I'm doing well I think this is this is a great like 101st podcast like the only way to one up what we did last week I think is to have this podcast now so I'm I'm totally stoked uh Brian thank uh thanks for coming on um we I mean we can jump right into it like we were, we were talking about um kind of like the on-site work style uh, that you guys have up in Vancouver and, and how cost of coordination is good on chain sometimes and, and online sometimes, but not always, uh, not always the best. Um, so, I mean, you know, just kind of broadly, like how are things at layer zero? Um, and then, you know, we can, we can kind of dive deeper from there. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been wild. So, you know, we were, I, I've been remote for like 15 years prior to this. So I'd always been hundred percent remote with everything I've ever done. Uh, we were hundred percent remote to start the company, went to Bahamas for five months and just like pulled everybody there while we were there. And we just realized we were like, that was getting through to launch. And we were just like, we are so much more productive in person. Um, I mean, that five months in Bahamas was like, uh, it was like a war room constantly. Uh, we were seven days a week in the office. I was like from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every, every single day, basically, um, seven days a week for five months. But like the, what we got done in that period, I, I would have taken us a year and a half at least, um, at least uh, if we were remote. And so after that, and we grew, we grew from about, we we're probably 12 people when we got to Bahamas and we grew to like 23 or so. 
uh, 23, 25, we were there. And we just told everybody like, listen, we, we basically like, if we're going to win, we have to be in person. Uh, and we said, everybody has to kind of make the decision between uh, either, either packing up their lives and moving or not. Uh, every single person did. Uh, so we got a hundred, hundred percent of people here. We're 63 people now. And it's been, uh, it's been, it's been awesome. I can't imagine doing it any other way right now, just because we've been able to ship like so, so, so quickly. So based everybody yeah. joins everybody. Yeah, just, 100%, like, yeah, man. We, we have, you know, I think we have four Canadians, like real Canadians on the team. So it's like 59 people have like packed up their lives and moved here, which is this huge, litmus test of conviction it's like the people who are here are just in it um which is which is awesome it's a great culture yeah that's that's absolutely amazing and i mean this month has been insane for you guys too eh? just absolutely all i see is on on your twitter every other day new all-time high new all-time high yeah 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 i mean it's been uh the, the whole thing the whole thing has been really just wild in general um i remember when we were launching in bahamas i, I sat with uh with ryan my, my co-founder and isaac our chief architect and we were talking about messaging and we we're like you know we're not going to need to worry we we're talking about scale and everything about, about million messages months like that was so far out for us uh, i told him i hoped to hit a million messages by like the end of the year um for the first year um, and then now we're, you know, we've had days where we're doing almost a million, like mid, mid 700s in a, in a single day. Um, so just like the engineering challenges that come with that, uh, just in general, I, I was talking about it in a tweet the other day, right? Like not only are we this, this messaging protocol that's doing like massive scale, like as a message delivery system, um, I mean, we're doing, I think we're pushing like 40 billion RPC calls a month right now. Like, like it's really, really kind of crazy. That's an expensive uh, right if you're a bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. But yeah, how, so how did you guys do it? Like, how, yeah. how did you guys scale? I mean, ultimately it is, uh, it's a bunch of incredible, like the company was founded when we were 30 people, we were 23 engineers, engineering focused org. We have a bunch of people who have scaled systems to, uh, many hundreds of millions of concurrent users from scratch. And so like, um, it's all, it's all just engineering problems. It's ab absolutely solvable. Uh, but you're going to be able to like build a system that actually, uh, scales and, um, you know, we, we care like deeply, deeply about uh, really two things. Like the three pillars of how we built are basically like immutable, permissionless and uh, censorship resistant, like permissionlessness and censorship resistant uh, we are obsessive about. We've made so many design decisions that make our lives a million times harder uh, in order to scale the system to make sure that like no packet can ever be censored against an application's will. Um, but it's just like, you just got to do it. And so a lot of it is just like fun. We have, uh, I, I kind of talk about it a lot. Like Ryan and I as co-founders, like our style is to sit in a room and like argue and we will like yell at each other for like eight hours straight. Like we will have a bunch of people. I think early on people think we're like insane. Um, but like ground truth is the goal and we'll have like very heated debates. But at the end of the day, I think like we arrive at, um, I mean, I, I, we've thought through it with every lens and I can't think of a, a single architecture that's even close to as good for what we're trying to accomplish. So yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's such as the way with decentralization, right? Just DAOs take longer to make, to make choices. Uh, things that could be done in a more centralized manner are, are often easier than um, you know, doing them in a trustless and permissionless way. And kind of just want to re rewind a bit for our audience and everybody who's listening. You, in all your tweets of these all-time highs and in, in, your, um, 
in your conversation just now about the uh, the act of being a, a messaging protocol, what does it mean to send an omni-chain message or a cross-chain message? Um, I, I assume you, you you prefer omni-chain, but what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the way that I mean, most people think about it as as kind of like this this abstract like thing that the, the way that I frame it to myself internally is literally identical to a packet on the internet. Honestly, you go, you go back in time, we had all these uh, isolated execution environments. You had DARPA and Stanford and all these university groups. And like, if I had a program or something that I wanted to run, I would need to physically take my data and like fly to Stanford to run it on the server there that like had the program that I need to like run it against. Um, and then we like invented the internet stack and like, it gave us all of this awesome stuff. And like the base primitive of that is just like a packet. It's just two computers uh, with an arbitrary you know, amount of compute. So like do some compute, generate an array of bytes, move the bytes over and like ingest those, do some more compute. So compute, byte, compute. Um, and that gives us everything that we have today. It's how we talk now. That's how we do like everything. And still, even with the internet, you know, 99% of the world's compute uh, still happens locally on a single machine, but like the internet is still the internet. Cross-chain is amazing. There's like this fundamental layer of like moving packets matters. And so when we're building this, like I view blockchains ultimately as the same thing. They're, they're isolated execution environments. Some of them are very good at something. Some of them are very good at other things. Um, and this is, you know, whether it's um, Arweave for storage or Solana for throughput or Ethereum or any of the L2s or, you know, however you want to construct this, whatever it looks like, you still need some way to like pass state data between those things. So like layer zero is literally just arbitrary contract invocation with a bytes array. So it's like invoke a contract here, generate some bytes, move the bytes, do something with the bytes. Same exact as a packet on the internet. So I see there's no difference. It's just moving generic blobs of data. And then once you start doing that really well, so it's mentioning, okay, great, we're, we're this uh, message passing protocol um, or this messaging protocol that's like moving uh, single cross-chain messages. Now you can start to do things like, okay, now as a message delivery service, we're actually doing some stuff that's really interesting. Now, again, 40 billion RPC calls per month. Um, the, the amount that we're putting into chains, we are the number one and often number two and three gas consuming contracts on like 80% of chains, literally like 80% of chains. We put more messages to those chains. We write more messages than any other. We got to the point where we were breaking layer twos because they couldn't handle sequentially ordered messages uh, fast enough. Like they needed to rewrite code. We needed to rewrite code, like all of this stuff. And now once you have that piece of like message delivery to a chain, there's so much that you can do with that. Um, and I think uh, with, without dropping too much alpha, like talking too much in general, like, uh, you know, I, I think over the next series of, uh, series of months, people, like people will start to see what, what we mean by that. We're, we're pretty secretive in general about what we do. Like people have only, uh, even when we launched, we're like, okay, we came completely out of stealth and like everybody paid attention and we didn't tweet like a single thing for like six months. And then like, and then we launched everything, you know? Uh, so like, we're pretty prone to that in general, like just to be heads down building. Uh, but we have been building some like really unbelievable things. Um, and I'm convinced some of the stuff we're going to launch soon is as, as transformative to this side of the space as, as anything we've ever done, including launch. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I love working with this group of people and like, we've really, uh, built some pretty special stuff. So yeah, it should be exciting. Hell Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, no, I mean, 
taking it all the way back to the to the packets of the, of the messaging and the blobs of data kind of in the web two world now right we have the the uh, transferability of 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 digital assets online right so through through stargate we, we can bridge from chain to chain and uh, do transfers of, of information from these contract calls like you're saying but also in addition to that transfer value which um that in and of itself is, is a huge like once you kind of cross that chasm in, in your mind of like whoa this is possible um you know it, it starts to be it starts to become um kind of what else can we do and i and i just feel like you're pushing the boundaries of like what else is possible in this kind of omni-chain DeFi realm? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think ultimately, like, when, when you have these atomic environments, it's great. You can do a bunch of amazing things. Um, but it's very similar to, like, I don't know, treat it like a like a, a, a bank, again, an execution environment, any server cluster, any data center, any anything. Like, once you start moving around, like, okay, great. Now we have all these chains, like, now you need clearing houses, but like, you don't want to have this intermediary sitting in the middle. So there's like, there's just all these things that end up um, like that. We have the ability collectively to, to recreate and disinterme disintermediate. If you can create the system of, of moving that state data uh, in a, in a way that, that makes sense and scales. This, this is painting a really like vibrant mental model for me. What, what you're saying, Brian, like you guys and you, you, you guys have built, to, to what you're saying, like you've made it extraordinarily difficult on yourselves to build a generic, a system that's generic enough to spread these blobs of data. And you guys have built out this internet post office and like spun up these uh, atomic environments that basically are able to like act as a post office where like someone can go there, send their blob of data to the other post office. It ends up getting delivered on that execution environment. Like, and you guys have, have made painstaking, like engineering decisions to build that system as best as, as you could. My question is like, where, where does it go? Like, what is the bigger vision of, and of that, that configuration? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about it a lot now. We're like, great. Right now we have 98% market share in terms of messaging volume, right? Like in terms of cross-chain messages being sent, you know, we have the, the super, super majority of everything, but like, if this is the end state, like, what am I doing here? Right. You know, th this is, it's like not enough in terms of what exists now. And so, um, I, I think there is an unbelievable amount more that can be done. And I think, again, some, some of that will sort of start, start to come out, uh, near term and started that is this separation between like a pure message passing protocol and message delivery and the difference between like all of these things. But, but I think ultimately like, I think the goal is we, we really like, again, early on, this is not something that we wanted to build. Like we were just like three friends. Uh, we just random technologists. We're like building stuff together for years. We've been building together for like 16 years now. Um, and this started because uh, we, we, the miners were colluding against us. So we had to like roll down our, like uh, our, our bots that we had built right, before <laughs> Flashbots got, got built. And so like the miners were colluding, we couldn't do this anymore. BNB uh, chain was like spinning up and, and finally like there was another chain where things were happening and it was like fast and cheap and uh, just totally different than Ethereum at the time. Um, and so we were just like, oh, like that's kind of cool. You have this entirely different execution environment. Like maybe I wouldn't want my stuff. This is early days. Like maybe I wouldn't want anything to live there long term. But like 
we could build a game there, right? You could do things that like are meant to be ephemeral and then move that state data back to Ethereum. And so we built like a game. We built a little toy game that was, um, it was, uh, you would open up packs of gladiators. The gladiators would fight on BSC and they would, if they died, they died permanently forever. And if you won 10 matches, you were like freed from the arena and you would mint a permanent NFT back on Ethereum. So like, that was it. We just built it for ourselves. We're just like, what is a cool thing? Like how, let's figure out how this stuff works. Um, and then we realized as trying to like mint this stuff back to Ethereum, like you couldn't actually do this without some central coordinator just sitting there and triggering events on both sides. We're like, well, that sucks. Um, that basically is entirely centralized. Um, and so like we looked desperately for like any system that could just do us. We wanted to like do this. We wanted to build the end application. And then we realized all the bridges were terrible. They didn't do this. And so we started building a better bridge. And we're like, even then we still need the transport layer. So like this has been something not that we wanted to do, but something that like we viscerally like felt the pain of and wanted to solve. And, and even now, like my big problem with middle chains in general as an architecture is, is just there is zero guarantee around, uh, around censorship. There's nothing, there is nothing that associates a packet on source and a packet on destination. It all gets routed to this like black box that sits in the middle. Uh, there's no guarantee of delivery. There's no non-sorter enforcement, which means like if a governance vote is happening, I can just conveniently like forget to deliver the packets that don't align with my viewpoint. Um, if I'm doing like um, financial transfers, right? So you're doing swaps, you're doing stuff between banks or DeFi or whatever it is, like I have the ability to now not only front run and back run every single transaction that goes across. So, you know, that's, that's HFT now, great. Okay, you can front run, you can kind of do this. I can also hold everything in the middle and rearrange the messages so that I can extract like maximum value across the entire surface of messages, right? There's just all this stuff that's so fundamentally broken that if we start to build systems long-term on top of those structures, like it's just such an enormous tax on the end consumer. Uh, that was a whole, like most of us have, I'm 11 years in this space, right? Most of us who got in early got in from like a very libertarian, like um, disintermediate, um, like that was our skew early on. And I, I'd like to think like a, a bunch of us like still like really kind of have that lens of ethos. And so, um, no, I, I think the first part is like making the system that that does that and can functionally be the building block to build. And then after that, there's a near unlimited amount that you can do, um, yeah. I'd like to go real quick on a on a disintermediation tangent, and then I'm sure there's there's questions there to ask about mental models and how you think about middle chain, omni chain. But I, I want to ask about like this this system that you've built. I'm I'm thinking of it as like an internet post office, and and to me that just sounds like email, you know. So like is is that part of the bigger vision? Like build disintermediate the email providers, build a decentralized email service provider. So. Again, for us, it's the packet, right? So like, if I give you the ability to make that packet, you can make email, you can make bridges, you can make banks, you can make anything that you want, right? Ultimately, my job, how I see it, is to build that base primitive of the packet and make it as safe, easy, and cheap as humanly possible for you to be able to move that. And like, sometimes those are trade-offs, right? Like sometimes, are you going to verify transactions directly on chain versus doing it in a black box? Like, yeah, that's going to be a little bit more expensive than a middle chain. You will be able to get it cheaper, but the trade-offs are immense, right? And so it's this, this sort of like contour of all of the things that you want. But the goal is, is make that base primitive that is good enough for your, your smallest possible NFT project moving 
you know, whatever it is, a, a PO apps for like your local games club, all the way up to like the DeFi protocols dealing in multi hundred million dollar liquidations, the people moving on board, onboarding, you know, tens of billions of dollars of real world assets. Like you have to make the primitive that, that meets all of those use cases and is good enough for both. Yeah. The, whoever came up with the name layer zero is absolutely genius because it, it might as well just be like layer underground of everything online because this just the vision expansion outside of just um, basically what what's currently building. As you said, like if if all you've done is just to build for what we have currently, which is like fun fun uh, you know fun NFTs and DeFi games and and financial primitives, then like you know you failed, right? But it, it, when you put it at that lens of like underpinning what could be, um, let's just call it the future of the decentralized web, uh, the the name layer zero starts to really just stick. So so props to whoever came up with. That was, that was all Ryan. That was all uh, all my co-founders. So I'm, I'm God awful at naming. Uh, he's, he's come up with every good name we've ever had. <laughs> nice, nice. Kind of uh, sh shifting gears a bit towards some of the uh, practical things that you guys are doing in DeFi. So I saw uh, in the June recap, uh, I think we, you pushed 16 million messages in June uh, and 35 million total. So nearly half of the entire total of messaging happened in June. And I think a lot of that has to, has to do with some of the integrations that you guys have, have been doing. It seems like the BD and integrations team has been really putting in work there. So I'm just kind of curious what that, what does that look like for uh, kind of the integration side? So, you know, a, a project approaches you or you approach, um, let's say for, for, for example, recently Arbitrum Nova and Scroll, Scroll Testnet were both um, integrated. What does that look like? Um, kind of how does that process happen? Um, you know, and I guess um, what's kind of the, the unique um, kind of selling point or um, aspect that, that these teams want to connect or you want to connect with them? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's like two types of integrations. There are, are the chains. Uh, so basically the end layer zero is meant to be a hundred percent permissionless, right? So any application wants to come build, uh, they just come and deploy contracts. They don't ever talk to us. They don't ever do anything. Like if they come to us and they need dev help, integration help, like looks at code, whatever, whatever that is, Discord, us directly, uh, tons of people are like around doing that, but like there should never be a gatekeeper for anybody to deploy. So 100% permissionless. We've actually had some of our largest integrations have deployed without ever speaking to us ever. Ghostly Ghost actually just like pinged me the night before they launched. They're like, hey, we're going to launch this thing. Like, do you want to take a look? And we we're like, yeah, sure. Like, we'll just look through the code. Uh, so, so that part has always been that way. For chains themselves, um, Layer Zero Labs goes and deploys an endpoint on that chain. And it's usually like the thing that we index on more than anything is just like, where is developer activity? Ultimately, like we want to be everywhere where like devs are being active. Um, we care so much more, like part of the benefit of raising a ton of money doing all these other things is like our runway is, is basically infinite, right? And so like we get to take a really, really, really long-term lens on things. And for us, it's just like, we want to be, the places that, that people are active. We don't care if people like somebody being like, I'll pay you 500 K to deploy an endpoint. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't move the needle for us at all. Um, we're not there in any form of like that. It's like, where are the developers? Like, that's what we want to capture because ultimately like every single new integration on layer zero now ends up, um, 
you know, everybody else built on gets to compose that. So like Stargate was a great example, right? Stargate built on layer zero. There's like hundreds of applications using Stargate, right? Wu Finance uses it, SushiSwap uses it. All of these people now started to integrate around Stargate um, because you have this primitive. And so it just becomes like these network effects become incredibly powerful uh, where again, like, applications building just draw in more applications because they want to like utilize part of that functionality or the asset base or anything else that's around that so uh that part has been has been awesome and, and super super interesting i think we're up to like i have to check the most recent numbers i, I think we're very close to like ten thousand contracts on mainnet which is wild um yeah 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 i think that first point speaks to kind of the conceptual design of layer zero really kind of being that permissionless and trustless layer where teams can just come build without ever having to be in contact. I mean, that's that's really the ethos of DeFi in and of itself of open source code of kind of what we're doing here. Um, you know, and then you can kind of take it to the next level with the uh, chain to chain development. We're requiring a little bit more hands-on, but um, strictly for, for the purpose of just, you know, making sure things are done properly and we're, and you're getting the technology into environments where there's a lot of activity and, Frankly, we are the roll-up, right? So we kind of had this rebrand shifted towards um, this kind of trend shift of the roll-ups, the roll-up centric roadmap. Uh, really, just kind of seeing that okay, if we're going to onboard the next however you know tens of millions into billions of users, we want to bring them onto roll-ups because we think that's the best environment for them to thrive. Um, you know, in terms of security, user experience, um, you know, zk tech, all these different things, right? So. Um, generally, I'm just curious, uh, from your personal perspective, uh, we are a little bit biased and if you're not as bullish uh, as, as us, we are not going to get mad at you, but, uh, what's your general thought about, uh, the state of rollups, where we're heading with ZK tech, um, and kind of how layer zero fits into that. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors right before we get back to this fascinating discussion. We have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What, what sets Premia apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premia has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Uh, feel free to check it out at premium.finance, um, hedge your risks or amplify your positions uh, to earn more capital efficient returns on premium finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plana Finance. I've recently uh, on, been onboarded as an advisor for Plana Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Planet Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Planet Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Planet Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's 
an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Yeah, yeah. So um, as, as a company, uh, we've taken the stance of like, we, like we're, we're always remain agnostic, right? For us, it actually doesn't matter if there's like a thousand orthogonal layer ones or like Ethereum only as a settlement layer and a bunch of layer twos. And actually one of the most interesting things is that uh, our most used nodes by far are Arbitrum and Optimism. And there, I always thought, okay, people have this, you know, they have the Arbitrum bridge, they have Optimism bridge. They're going to use those to go up into it because it's free. And why wouldn't you? And like people will likely pay a premium to bypass this, this seven day window to like come back. So I thought it would be L2s to Ethereum. That would be the most used pathway by far uh, coming from the L2s. And it's actually to each other. It's horizontal composability for the, for the layer twos. Like as soon as wow. people have made the decision to move from layer one to low fee layer two, they treat them largely as fungible across them. And the amount of activity of the, like people, whether they're on Optimism, Arbitrum, Nova, any of these like, what they don't want to do is, oh, great, I like did something here. Now I need to wait seven days to go back down to Ethereum, pay another L1 fee to go back up to the other chain and do it. So they just want to go back and forth. And uh, so like, like roll-ups have driven an unbelievable amount of volume to us. We're very, very uh, bullish, like a, a roll-up centric roadmap. We think it'll be incredibly powerful for us in general. Um, and that was surprising. It was definitely not my original thesis. Uh, in terms of rollups in general, I think there's there's still like there's so much open work, right? The zk stuff is is being so actively worked on. Uh, decentralized sequencers, shared sequencers are being so actively worked. Like all of this stuff is very underdeveloped, and I think we need to see like what that looks like before you can be like, yeah, this is this is the way that things will definitely evolve long term. But I think it's interesting, and the teams have been great to work with. From a general perspective of running a business and raising capital and um, you know, just executing in the best way for your team and for your company. I think being agnostic is, is, is a no brainer. And it's a, it's a, to have a bias in the world, in the market is to lose out on opportunity. Right. And so I, I think that that's a, that's a pretty based, based choice there. Yeah. And I, I joke about it a lot. Like I, you know, I found Bitcoin in 2010 I was mining Bitcoin like a ton, um, racks of miners in my garage in 2013. I was minting Gen Zero Crypto Kitties. Uh, I was farming yams at like 300 million percent APY. Like, and in <laughs> none of these was I like, you know, it, I wasn't minting Gen Zero Crypto Kitties and like, yes, I see the NFT boom that's coming or like same thing with yams, right? Um, so like, you want to be open-minded enough to like be early to all these things and like get exposure. Like I like playing with new and weird things. Uh, but I, I, it's not like I, I have this magical, like can see the future. Right. So I, I don't believe in my ability to predict my goal is build that base primitive that applies to all of the use cases and just like work with the people doing interesting stuff. And like a, a bunch of that will turn out awesome. Yeah. Cause those, those people will surprise you. Hundred percent. I have been surprised many, many, many times before. So I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't leave it up to me to to be a good good at predicting. So, and I think that's exactly what you're talking about, bro. Like, like a bias is a limiting belief, and you're cutting yourselves off from. If you think you're going to know everything, you're going to miss out on what people will surprise you. Uh, you know what what they build and and how they will surprise you. So I I I I love the the. Uh, architecture choice that you made to make it more difficult on yourself 
but like bask in the light of this this like entropy that you find yourself like absorbing because you didn't limit your beliefs early on and you didn't limit your technology you're able to now absorb all of that surprising energy and use cases that people build on top of layer zero yeah 100% i think this kind of takes us back to the last podcast as well which was with uh, the founder and CEO of Leafy, um, kind of a similar concept as far as the the kind of protocol as a business model, which is build tech that can be used by everybody in the space, no matter where they are, uh, and just kind of focus on the tech in- integrations, focus on activity, um, you know, and these types of applications I can see can grow so infinitely large so fast compared to something that is much smaller, like let's say like a, just a single DAP, even if it's like a omni-chain or, or a multi-chain DAP, not that those builders aren't building something in- incredible, but the scale of the reach of, let's call it the infrastructure layer um, is, is almost infinite. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, listen, I, I promise you, Vitalik did not envision like meme coins and Ponzi's as like a core use case of Ethereum and who's building it, right? But like, you know what I mean? Like you, you build the thing and like you, you end up like the use cases come after you build the thing that has the maximum utility and like, uh, you know, it's definitely not his end state vision, but he's not, uh, you know, Ethereum is not like, oh, like we're going to eliminate those or make, you know, it's just an open system and like people are going to use it, how, how they're going to use it. You make something that's, that's ultimately useful and go from there. Even Vitalik was surprised. Did he was dumping, dumping them all. <laughs> Brian, I Brian, I have a question. Um, how do you guys make money, like in this protocol, you know, integration world? Yeah, like, what's the business model? Yep. What's the what? When you were doing this this raise, what was the you know what was the business model? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, ultimately, again, build the most useful system, and then stuff will emerge from that. What we see as our role, uh, like okay, layer. This is layer. So there's sort of three components have spun out of this ecosystem. There's like Stargate, the protocol, layer zero, the protocol, layer zero labs, the equity entity, right? Uh, Stargate, the protocol, layer zero, the protocol, they all have their own sort of models and structures. Layer zero labs, the equity entity. Our goal really is to be sort of like what consensus is to Ethereum, right? So we will build things that have direct utility to the layer zero sphere or ecosystem overall that are additive to that, um, but that also are, so in consensus case, okay, you MetaMask and Infura and all of these things that like get used every day and allow uh, the broader ecosystem to sort of like grow and flourish, uh, but they make a ton of money from those things directly, right? And so our goal is to do that. Our goal is to build tooling that grows the layers or ecosystem as a whole. Uh, this can be things like pre-crime, um, this can be, you know, this can be a bunch of different things that ultimately are, uh, are, you know, third-party services that are provided, but, uh, we don't want to have. So again, when I talk about those, those core pillars of how we built, um, permissionless censorship resistant immutable, right? So immutable is easy. Great. Contracts are hundred percent immutable, cannot be changed ever. Uh, permissionless is like, you don't need to rely on us. If our team disappeared from the face of the earth, you never saw us again, government shuts down, bomb goes off, what, you know, whatever crazy thing could happen, like the layer zero protocol will exist until the end of time or until Ethereum makes breaking changes. Like it will be there forever. Anybody will use it. No application will be like, oh, 
they got some noted, like something happened. Now layer zero is dead and all our applications are dead, right? And that's like, like very, very important to us as a system that, that there is no way that some external thing can happen. No builder should have to be reliant on us. And again, big issue with like middle chains where like, it's very easy for like one node to be like dead. Every application built on top of it, dead, all of this, uh, huge issue. And so um, that's one thing. And then in the censorship resistance is just the same thing. It's just like uh, in the same way, censorship or if our, like if our goal was to be maximally adversarial. So now layer zero didn't disappear. Instead, we've gone rogue. Our only goal in life is to try to harm you as an application. Like we're going to try to rug you. We're going to try to censor messages, do whatever we can. Uh, there is zero ability for us to do that. If you select your own parameters, like you have full control that you like, again, layer zero will exist forever. And even when layer zero labs is a complete rogue agent trying to destroy applications on top of layer zero, they can all just be completely unaffected. Right. And so uh, I think like building in that manner, matters just an unbelievable amount. Uh, and I, I think ultimately is just like what drives a lot of this. Yeah. I think if you, if you pitch that vision to non web three native or non crypto uh, investors, the idea behind the blockchain being basically uh, able to run through till the end of time. And I, it's probably more than likely one of their first times hearing a pitch of a, of a technology like that, it's kind of mind blowing to, to yeah, kind because, of wrap because again, like we're, we're, we don't have our own chain, right? There is no layer zero chain. Like we have an endpoint, which is a library of smart contracts that lives on Ethereum, that lives on Polygon and all of these other chains. Uh, as long as those chains live and survive, anybody can interact with that smart contract. So all applications can do it. And then the network for people to pick up and move those messages and how that gets assigned and all of that, that is 100% permissionless. And that in the worst case, again, everybody goes offline, everybody dies, this is terrible. Like you can just go and run that infrastructure yourself as a project, as a community bootstrap thing. Like there is always a fallback. Um, you should never be reliant or no application should be reliant on some third-party service provider as like the end... Um, you know, the, the end arbiter basically on the life of your project and funds. Like imagine it was like to unlock funds and then you get a government shutdown. You're like, oh, those, you know, $15 billion locked forever. Like, sorry guys, um, it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, it, it helps you guys not be inter disintermediated. Um, and it it's like, that, like, that is a, a moat, right? Like you guys are building this thing. It's almost impossible to nerf like by yourself or someone else coming along and nerfing it like, nerfing your thing for you like there may be a better system that comes along and you guys are building better systems every day and kind of layering that on top but it's not like someone's going to come along and just shut it down like yep. it's going to continue to run as long as it's useful people will use it and then it'll it'll kind of like interchange interconnect interoperate with with other you know components out there and kind of like ebb and flow in terms of how useful and productive it is like plugged into these other these other pieces um what are some of the intermediaries right now? Like that is one reason that protocols and especially the, in, the infrastructure layer is not able to be disintermediated. What are some of the, some of the like easy targets? Like what are some of the, the intermediaries right now in the web two world that you're just, you think are prime for disintermediation? Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a couple of surfaces. There's like uh, immediately obvious. One is obviously like look at the, TradFi slash HFT world, right? It's it's literal insanity, tens of billions of dollars per year. 
by simply just like having a bad system where it's like an order pings to this exchange and they get to race you and just like front run you. Right. And now we have MEV, we have everything here, but there are like plenty of ways to reduce that surface. Uh, like that should ultimately long, long term be, be commoditized as much as humanly possible, where the people who will do it for the absolute minimum amount, such that the maximum amount goes back to the end customer should, should be done. So like, okay, now you have like the surface of transactions that are happening themselves. Then you look at, at, at TradFi themselves, right? Like um, how, like send a wire, right? Do remit money, do anything. Like all of this stuff is insane right now. The, the fees that are layered in, like uh, there's just Crazy. so, uh, you know, the, the list is, is near yeah. infinite uh, in terms of just like, grift and just like um you know it's crazy how stupid it is in, in all traditional systems so yeah yeah it's pretty yeah wires are ridiculous um especially when you're so used to sending uh eth around for a dollar or less than a dollar 50 cents 25 cents if you get it when gray is low and that actually brings me back to an idea that you said earlier which is uh, some of these inefficiencies currently in the crypto market specifically not just the broader uh uh, TradFi or kind of world markets um, are all just basically like another form of attacks. And, and like you said, I mean, if you're here right now in the crypto space, if you've been here for a couple of years, you've likely got that libertarian mindset, uh, you know, in, ingrained in your mind. And so this idea of like um, existential taxes, in addition to what you have to pay to your own nation state is like, it, it, it's, it's, if, if that's not a big enough driver to build something better, then, then, you know, you, you're not in the right industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I ultimately, like if you're like a tax on the technology layer, like a tax on just the surface of doing anything like that sort of tax, um, on the end consumer is infinitely harmful, uh, overall, just to like the world to everything. Like you need really need Goldman Sachs, like taking X percentage of, you know, whatever, three and a half percent for credit cards of every transaction that's ever run, basically, as everybody moves to like digital, uh, you know, pay on your phone, like all of this stuff. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it it's kind of a consequence of capitalism because it has built these barriers and these walled gardens where people are trying to limit entry and they're, they're building up these barriers so that they can price manipulate so that they can control the price right so like they can charge that three and a half percent because it's very difficult to establish market share in that in that industry and someone can't just come along and build build a solution for one and a half percent because it they have established this walled garden that it's very difficult to enter now we have blockchains it's very easy to just program spin up a new execution environment a new protocol you just interoperate on the contracts that already exist um it's almost like we just ex have accelerated. Like when someone has a good idea, we just accelerate that all the way down to bare bones cost, maximum capital efficiency. And then we can, we're basically running it at break even so that the participants in that economy reap the most benefit. And I mean, like imagine the POS system, just imagine the simple credit card machine being a permissionless system such that anybody can deploy onto and say, Hey, you can use my credit card at one and a half percent, one percent, half percent, just tap here. It works for all of them, right? Because the core technology has been built in such a way that anybody can do that. And the core technology has all of this network effect that everybody has adopted that, right? That's ultimately the end goal, right? Right now you have this, this POS system um, where 
only like the Visa, MasterCard, whatever it is, they've, they've negotiated like just us, nobody else. Like you're dead. You, you have no credit card access if you don't do that, right? It's impossible for somebody to enter. But if the underlying technology can be built in a way that is maximally permissionless, again, immutable and censorship resistant, like that changes so, so much. And yes, all of this stuff that is a tax on the consumer will just get commoditized down based on what the consumer will pay for, for convenience, for you know whatever that looks like, experience, whatever it is. Right. POS, of course, being point of sale. Point of sale. Yeah. Maybe maybe both apply given the, given how bad the systems are. It makes sense. I I totally see, see how that, that could like just unwrap this like totally decentralized execution, like transaction environment where anyone can just spin up that credit card point of sale and just tap, you charge 1% tap, you charge 2%, whatever, you know, configuration you choose. Are you guys working with Lightning Network? Because they kind of take that like point of sale angle. Are you guys doing anything with, with Lightning yeah, Network? So early on, we've not done it. And so with the way we handled proofs originally, Bitcoin uh, basically didn't have enough smart contract functionality to be, to be able to validate uh, an MPT proof on the ne- on the network itself, right? So there wasn't enough smart contract functionality to validate an incoming proof. Uh, since then, we've done a ton of research on on how we would be able to do that in those systems, uh, and basically have the flexibility now now to move. Uh, to move to BTC and you know everything else, Monero, all, everything else around this. And so um, we haven't yet. We likely will. I would say it's not likely to happen in the next six months, but you know, almost a hundred percent to happen in the next few years. Interesting. Things coming. Yeah, now, Lightning is is really trying to be that front facing uh, user experience for Bitcoin. Kind of change the change the. Um, idea in people's heads that Bitcoin's only a store of value, only, uh, you know, it's expensive to, to transact with, uh, kind of f- fulfilling that digital P2P cash vision. Um, yeah. 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 Like as you were talking that it brought up like the whole Bitcoin cash idea and, and just kind of like continuing to try to push that narrative a little bit, you know, like people should t- to try to scale Bitcoin so that there are some transactions going on chain so that when we hit 21 million, there's actually some transaction fees for miners, not just a block reward. Like that's, I think, I think it's important if we want Bitcoin to survive, that it has some transaction flow um, in the form of people using it as a currency. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, you, you just brought up Bitcoin cash and that kind of threw me for a world because we're just talking about if we, uh, if you were able to create a new uh, point of sale system with a different uh, credit card processor, the guy, you know, Roger Ver and Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold and all these, they kind of just were like, whoa, we can just create a new POS system. Uh, obviously, it's proof of work, but call it Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin SV instead of the original. It's just kind of that same iteration, but again, because of the open nature of, of, uh, of blockchains and, and forking and code and much more, uh, much more feasible. Just interesting kind of loop there. Yeah. Yeah, it's and- interesting. What's your take on open source code? Because I think that's kind of like what allows that programmability and like, you know, quick acceleration to iterative, like, like uh, maximum, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a trade off. I think for anything that's on chain, we're 100% open source maxi. Uh, we did use uh, BSL for our stuff, which like gets, gets a lot, like obviously Uniswap has taken a ton of flack with, uh, with V4 BSL. Um, and I, so I, I think there are trade-offs there. Um, but I think like when we were doing something that was just like 
entirely new. We knew it mattered early on to just be able to like build network effects and like basically have that. Like eventually everything, every, well, everything is open source. People just can't use it for commercial use yet. I uh, will be able to eventually. Um, so the one thing that we get flack for is that our off-chain components are not open source right now. And so there, there's like a couple of reasons why we do this. So everything on-chain, anything that is related to security at all is 100% open source, audited, has been from day one. Then you have stuff that lives off-chain. So like our relayer, the Layer Zero Labs relayer, which only deals in like a couple of things. It deals in quoting and like a few other things completely external to, uh, to security and like that is the thing that Layer Zero Labs, our equity entity, will like run long term. Um, that for us is something that we don't think like we don't need to open source. It just doesn't matter. And if we did open source, everybody would just copy it, which is fine. But we're very, very, very uh, vigilant around like client diversity matters an unbelievable amount. Another huge thing that we hate around like the middle chain system in general is like everybody runs the same client and like the devs of the change is like push a new client update and everybody just auto accepts it, right? Like you ultimately just have like a single point of failure. And so like right now we already have like Polyhedra, the ZK Lite client that came on. They wrote their own client from scratch. Chainlink wrote their own client from scratch. We wrote our own client from scratch. We're actually getting a bunch of other people to write clients right now so that like there will never be a point in time in the network where like everybody in this, the ETH has had to go this direction a ton, right? So ETH used to be like, super dominated by by geth and they've like meaningfully pushed down geth adoption um with every you know every other clients basically because they realize like a bug that gets introduced to that is just catastrophically bad for the network it's just like death um and so like there are some reasons strategically why we've chosen not to for off-chain components uh that have nothing to do with security um but yeah other, otherwise we're like ex extremely pro yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So would you consider the off-chain um, code and kind of technology like intellectual property or like proprietary in in information, just not, not wanting to give it out? Yep. No, for sure. hundred percent. I think again, layers it right. Layers are the protocol is going to exist on its own. Layers are labs doesn't have any special rights to layers or protocol layers or protocol, like doesn't pay layers or labs money. Right. They're like, there's no world that we would build a system like that that makes any sort of sense at all or that like we knew that would never get adopted. So this system is going to exist on its own. Anybody can step in and run execution. Anybody can step in and run pre-crime. Anybody can run any of these things. Um, now, again, anything that is related to security, 100%, multiple audits, open source, everybody be, be, needs to be able to see. When you're talking about like, quoting gas across chains and like how you're dealing in execution like there is no edge for like nobody else needs to have that the end application doesn't care they care that somebody fulfills it because whoever fulfills it um just means that you know they'll, they'll the same security assumption for them regardless of who fulfills it so it doesn't change their security assumption their trust assumptions at all but the people who can do it the cheapest will, will sort of be able to monetize this for, again, whatever that like lowest cost is to the end consumer. Um, and Layer Zero Labs is an entity wants to be able to compete in that market. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure it's part of the kind of pitch deck as well to uh, investors and just kind of what makes the, uh, it separates you guys from, from the rest uh, and, and just kind of reinforces the, uh, the state of, of, of excellence 
behind what you guys are building. So uh, many props there kind of shifting towards the end of our conversation here uh, to kind of a little bit more of a fun conversation. So not that this hasn't been a, a, a blast, but I want to talk about some NFTs, pudgy penguins. What's your pudgy penguin story, Brian? So I, I bought, uh, I, I've kind of managed for us, my two co-founders, Ryan and Caleb, I've kind of managed our portfolio on and off for like 10 years or whatever, like a very long time. I bought us punks very, very early um, when they were like cheap. And we're like, we're just going to hold these forever. Um, then uh, there was this period where like, it was like three months and my punk went from being worth, you know, whatever it is, like 50K to being worth like $1.1 million. Um, and I was like, I know we said we're never going to sell these, but like, I think we have to sell these. And my co-founder was so adamantly against me doing it. Um, he's still never forgiven me to this day, uh, but I ended up selling all three of our punks, like absolute Pico top sold for <laughs> great. Um, but he was Chad. like, he was so mad and he was like, we have to find something else. And like, we will never sell it no matter what. Um, and so we ended up, uh, you know, we ended up finding penguins just like very shortly after I, I bought, I must've bought 50 penguins from 0.03 to 0.08. Um, I, I bought, you know, whatever, a bunch, you know, a bunch of all different types and rarities of penguins back then. Um, so we, we bought a ton then just because we liked them and we picked a couple that were our, um, you know, our uh, avatars. And then eventually way later, I ended up paying for the penguin I have now. I, I ended up paying quite a bit to go out and negotiate with the person and find it and track it down. But now I think we're, uh, I think we're the largest uh, holders of penguins um, of, of anybody. Uh, so we're, we're definitely like massive yes. penguin maxis. Uh, we basically ne never sold a single one uh, other than we have this batch we did do experiment uh we we put in pseudo swap and like we have like five more penguins than we put in there now so this is a small batch but uh we gifted every single employee in the company uh penguins for holiday bonuses so we gave away you know we've given away 40, 50 penguins uh the whole company has them um yeah we're, we're we're big fans for sure epic yeah yeah i think what they're doing is uh is special big fans as well um was happy to see you guys in that round. So yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's an epic one there. I mean, uh, when you see a, let's just for lack of better terms, a stallion in a, in a race with a bunch of horses, it, it becomes kind of an easy, okay, well, what if this works? You know, yeah. uh, there, there, there's not really many, I mean, there's no other projects trailblazing that, uh, like the physical kind of reality collectible niche. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we bought, in the beginning, it was way pre-Luca, where it was like right after Mint. And so we already loved them. And then seeing Luca take this project that had been so like abused and like community, everyone was rapping and you know, all of these things were happening and like see Luca take over and just his energy and like um, sort of ambitions with the project overall. I, I said on Twitter the other day, it was like one of the easiest checks I've ever written, right? I it told him I didn't, didn't care about the pitch deck, didn't care about anything. Like I very much just wanted to like, we already were huge supporters of the project in general and like wanted to support him and the team and the vision. And like, they, they've been awesome. I, infinite love for the Penguin team. I re-listened the segment that you and uh, Luca did on our Twitter space about brand culture. And, and I was sitting in front of a project proposal and it just like flew from my fingers. Like, the, literally the culture from your mouth and Luca's mouth 
through my brain, through my fingers onto this, onto this doc. That was, that was amazing. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Luca, Luca has a really interesting kind of online marketing and uh, brand awareness mind. It's a, it's a special one. Um, yeah, I guess like he, he's come from such a different place in terms of background where I was like a very technical background. He's, he's full like consumer product, et cetera. But like when I, I, you know, when Luca and I spend time, we'll stay up 2am just like chatting, going through ideas, like the amount that we agree on is, is staggering. Um, so, uh, even despite all of that, uh, he's, he's a stud man. Solid stuff. And, uh, last but not least the untouched, the untalkable topic, uh, I, I've been seeing some shenanigans on GitHub about this ZRO thing, but uh, not what, what, what alpha can you share with our, our, our audience that's not going to get you in trouble? So ZRO from GitHub that people are seeing is, is in the, it's in the code, the layer zero code from day one when we launched. That's always been there. That's nothing new. That has been there from the very beginning of time. Everybody can look at the commit history. So frustrated. Uh, so frustrated about this. Yeah. So that, that has been there forever from the beginning. I've said it on many podcasts before. Anybody who is claiming to know anything, um, you know, has, has no idea. We, we still don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows um, yeah, anything. Anybody who's saying they have any information uh, is lying to you. You guys heard it here first. Founder of Layer Zero Labs, CEO Brian knows nothing. So if he knows nothing, there's there's no chance you guys do, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I could talk for another hour, but I want to respect your time. I'm sure you have a bunch of meetings and things today, busy Mondays. So thank you so much for uh, for joining on, making episode 101 absolutely fantastic. Uh, touched a lot of a lot of really killer subjects uh, and learned a lot today. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you Thanks so much, guys. Pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.